0: So, uh, it's been rough. It's been rough. Uh, And I want to let you know ahead of time that this is unprepared. But the Bible says that we must be ready in season and out of season when God calls you to do something. So, I got a text yesterday at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And Pastor said, uh, hey, brother, can you fill in for me? And I'm like, oh, man, I usually need a month. (laughs) You know, because I think I got to put my own ideas in this. But then God always reminds me that I'm not the one teaching you guys. That is the Holy Spirit of God, who is the teacher. So um, pray with me for a minute so that the teacher can come and bring this message to all of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day. We thank you for new beginnings. And Lord God, we thank you for the hope that you bring us. Father God, you see every single heart that is in this place today. I pray, Father God, that your word would go forth through your word, through your spirit, so that every heart here that listens to your word today would be transformed and that there would be no misunderstanding. For you do not bring confusion. The devil is the, the master of confusion. But you bring clarity. Lord, sometimes the things that are written in your word are hard to understand, and sometimes we can misinterpret But I pray that you will prepare every heart and mind at this moment to receive what you want all of us, including myself, to learn from today's message. So, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. 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 All right. So, I like the way Pastor Lewis, uh, his question last week was, so who is Jesus to you, right? Right. And I don't know if you guys took time this week to evaluate who is Jesus for you. And My question is, what are you willing to do for Christ? I like what Elena said when she said, I had to make him my first and my everything before we can move on. And this message that we're about to listen to today, that you're about to listen to, deals exactly with that type of topic. Today, as we are continuing the series, Discipleship 101, today's title for our message is Consider the Cost. Consider the Cost. As Christian believers, I know a lot of times we might think that it's just saying, Jesus, come into my heart, and boom, and we just go on with our lives, right? I gave my life to Jesus, so Jesus has it from here on, right? But the thing is that Jesus tells us a story. He tells us a story, and I'm gonna go off uh I'm gonna go over the overview from Pastor Lewis. And he says, following Jesus has a high cost. And according to Jesus himself, the, the price tag is everything. He wants everything from you. And what I mean by Everything In Luke 14.33, I'm going to read off the NLT, it says, So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. So you're going to be questioning yourself, what does that mean? You're going to understand today. Many of us entered into discipleship unto Jesus without truly, truly coming to terms with what the cost of being a disciple actually is. We want both and, and because of this, what God intended to be salt to the earth or light on a hill and a force that hell can't stand against, instead becomes useless, laughable, meaningless at best. So when Christ calls you to be a disciple, which did which did he intend? And why is the cost so high? Because it because Was it because what you gain is far better than you could even know? So our first point today is going to be love that looks like hate. Love that looks like hate. So we're going to, like I said, we're going to be, I'm going to be reading off of my NLT, but the verses are going to be up there in the NIV. And I'm going to try to explain and break this down as best as I can uh, through the the help of the Holy Spirit. In verse, in chapter 14, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, 25 through 35 today. In verse, in chapter 14, verse 25, and it says, it says, A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciples, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, and children, your brothers and your sisters. Yes, even your own life. This is Jesus talking. But don't misunderstand Jesus' word in hate with what we know as hate. Okay? Okay. So we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this, and I'm going to try and and show you something. So when it talks about the great multitudes that went with him, and he said to them, Jesus Christ was not aiming to gather big crowds. That, That wasn't his aim, but to make true disciples. God is constantly trying to disciple us, whether you're spending time alone at home with him In the word and prayer and asking for direction, or whether you're gathering together in groups and learning from one another. Remember, the teacher is always Him. We receive and we share. We give from what we've been giving. We've been given. So, He was always looking to make true disciples like He did with His twelve. He never, never adapted His message because of the majority preference, but always. Plainly declared the high cost of discipleship. Here he made several bold demands that would discourage anybody who is a half-hearted Christian. If you're a half-hearted Christian, that means that you go about your Christianity every day. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. You know, I go to groups. But your life doesn't change. You're still you. You're still holding on to your old ways, your old thinking, your, your old, old behaviors. But then he says, this is, this is the demand. He says, in verse fourteen twenty six, he says, if any, any man, if you want to be my disciple, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father, your mother, your wife, your children. You know, and as Christians, we might look at that and say, wow, that's contradictory. That's like. Contrary to what Jesus said when it comes to love your neighbor as yourself, right? It would sound like that. But we got to understand what that word hate means. uh, There's a verse in Matthew 1037 that gives you a key understanding to what that command is. This hatred called for here is actually a lesser love. A lesser love for your father. A lesser love for your mother. A lesser love for your children a lesser love for yourself a lesser love for everything else jesus is always calling for us as disciples to cultivate a devotion so deep with him that our attachment to everything else in this world seems like nothing this is this this detachment from what we from what we know is to where he is your everything. He is your number one. Pastor Joshua used to say it. He's your hefe. He's your boss. He's the shot caller. Sounds like a gangster, right? But in reality, that's what Jesus must become. Just like John the Baptist says, he must become more while I become less because it's always about him. So this hate means, right, that our own lives. If we're gonna be disciples of, of Jesus Christ, our love for him must be the greatest. He must be our first love. He must be the most important love. You know, in other words, in other words, if if Jesus called me and say, like he said to Abraham, leave your home and come and follow me and go to the place where I want to take you. And, and you know, he says, Hey, leave your home. I can't, I can't be, let me put it like this, in, in a human way. If I had to choose between Jesus Christ and my wife, I would have to say, sorry, wife, but I've been called to this. I know it sounds harsh, but that's the cost. Detachment. Detachment. Remember that all of us at one point in our life, we're going to be detached from whoever our partner is, who our children are. Have no attachments to the world. Yes, love your families. Love your kids. Love one another. But remember always that when it's time to go, it's time to go. You see the cost? And if Jesus was to say, leave your brothers, let's go. Sorry, brothers and sisters, I love you. But I got to go. You know, and that's very important. That's very important. I don't know if you guys may understand it, but I'm going to put it in in, in in a way like this. When I was living without Christ, I came to a point in my life where I just didn't care no more. I didn't care if I lived. I didn't care if I died. I came to a point where I said, you know what, God, why did you make me? I complained to him. I have shared that with you guys before. But I didn't. I didn't care. I didn't care no more. I have been shot at so many times. I have been... You know, I probably od deed, who knows how many times, and I didn't even know I did to the point where I was just tired, tired of living, period. So I felt a sense of detachment of my own life. Like, I don't care about it. I don't care whether I live or die. But, yeah, I was always scared of burning in hell. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was real. But it's kind of like for me is that until Christ came into my life and he said the same thing to me. Before I even read this, this was 12 years ago, he said, all or nothing. I want all of you, or don't give me nothing. And that meant everything. Before I got into a relationship and everything, he said, make sure that your foundation is always me. I must be your everything. So what Jesus Jesus was saying here is that none of our family members or anybody— or even our own lives can be put ahead of him. He must be first. Our first love and obedience must be to God. We cannot make gods of our families or even our own selves. Which is what we do sometimes. Everything and everybody else is more important. They invite you to a group. Oh no, 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 you know you don't La novela. I gotta watch the next, you know, the next Netflix episode. Cobra Kai. Fifth season. Can't miss it, you know. <laughs> Don't let me watch Netflix. I'll binge until it's over in one day. Um, So that's just my my bad character defect. (laughs) So this is another very important thing. Not only do you have to make Jesus and make everybody else less in your life, but then he says in verse 27, and not only do you have to give up everything, and if you do not carry your own cross, And follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Each and every one of us has been given, and we all have an individual cross to carry. And it's made individually and personally by God for each and every one of us. What? What do you mean? Yes. We have this thing called self. This nature that we struggle every day. Elena shared it. Just because we are born-again Christians, right, inside we're brand new. We're born and made alive through Jesus Christ, right, through the spirit of Christ that lives in us and seals us as God's own. But we still, this body right here and our stinking thinking is still a prison that we live in until Jesus Christ one day calls us and we're changed in in the twinkling of an eye. That's why that's why this is so real, and it's a battle that each and every one of us here goes through. There's not a person in here that is not going through something. Not one person that is not going through some crazy thoughts, some some choice making that uh, I don't know if I should that, if I should do that. You you're, you're wrestling with something, but the spirit always so. What does it mean to bear your cross? This, this is a willing thing. This is a willingness when you understand the cost, that Jesus must be the most important person in your life. Then you can pick up your cross. It's him or nothing. It's right or die, I like to say. Right? So, like I said, you know what's funny is that today you don't hear much preaching about that we suffer for Christ too. You don't hear much today about bearing that cross where people are going to make fun of you because of what you stand for. The majority of the world is against us, right? But it's not only the world, it's ourselves. The greatest battle that we have against the flesh, sometimes, and against even our own families, Come on, let's be real. You know, our families might not believe what you believe. They might not want to follow what you follow. Oh, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. I still haven't seen Jesus open the sky. Okay. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I believe in a God who keeps his word. And I believe this book to be truth from beginning to the end. And I have come to terms with that because there's not one thing in here that has not been fulfilled. Every single thing is being either has been fulfilled, is being fulfilled right now, and is going to be fulfilled. So I'm just going to trust in what God says He's going to do. So there's a lot of uh, ignoring the Word of God in this. So when we talk about when we talk about this, we um, sorry guys, like I said, I'm still going through these notes. So in our first uh, uh, bullet. Uh, point here, that love looks like hate. This is what Pastor Lewis wrote. As Jesus starts to define the high cause, he gives us an unimaginable picture, something that makes us cringe. What? He must be the most important person. You mean it's not my job? You mean it's not my house? You mean it's not my car? You mean it's not that, that person that I love? It's not my child, my newborn maybe? It's not, that's not the most important person? What? Right? That's what we... He says he says, "In order to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to hate all of the people you love, even yourself. In order to be a disciple, in order to be a disciple, if you are unwilling to give up the throne of your heart to him so much so that everyone around you thinks you're crazy, then you don't get it. You don't get it. People are going to claim that you hate them. Because of the insane priority that you have given over to Jesus. This surrender goes, on, goes even to the point of giving up your own dreams, wealth, and life. If some of you were called today to leave your job, your profession, what you think is your dream, would you be willing to do it? For Christ, for a life of bearing a cross, being ridiculed, mocked, made fun of, which one would you choose? I can't answer that for you. God sees your hearts here today, and he knows exactly what you would choose. It has nothing to do with the person who's telling you. It has nothing to do with the preaching. It has everything with Jesus is the one asking you this question. If you had to choose between that and me, I already know in your heart what you would choose. But do you know in your heart what you would choose? And would you be willing to make that change? Point two. Don't dig up what you have buried. Don't dig up what you have buried in faith. Verse 28 tells us, but don't begin until you count the cost. We all have come to Jesus, right? But did anybody ever tell you what it's going to cost you? For you who are new here, don't let this scare you. Don't let this scare you. I'm telling you, I'm standing here 12 years later, and this has been the most amazing decision that I have made in my life. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Am I challenged daily? Absolutely, yes. Do troubles come my way? All the time, even when I'm not looking for them. Sometimes I can create them, but I try not to, right? Because the flesh sometimes gets the best of us, right? So he says in verse 28, don't begin, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if you have enough money to build it? build it what what are we talking about when it comes to cost so here when jesus was talking to the multitudes remember he was talking to the multitudes like he's talking to us today but there's a specific type of person that he is addressing this to and it's to those who want to be true disciples true committed so there was a lot of people in the multitude who were positive jesus i want to i want to follow you i want to do what you say right but most of them were uncommitted They were not committed. How committed are you to the cost? How committed would you be willing? Is it worth it for you? Before you answer that, we got to dig more into this. And remember, this is not to discourage you. This is for you to understand that I'm not here to make up a story for you. I'm here to speak truth. And it's up to you to say, Lord, regardless, i got to trust you. You know, I can't do it. So right here, how do you count the cost? Far from making it easy for them to respond positively, he set the cost of discipleship as high as possible and encouraged them to do a careful inventory before declaring their willingness to follow. Their willingness to follow. In Luke 9.57, I want you guys to see this with me. In Luke 9.57, it says, it says, As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Isn't it so exciting in the beginning when, you're, you're, when you first meet the Lord? Man, you are so on fire that you want, everybody and their mama to know about Jesus you tell the birds you tell the dogs you talk you tell anything moving even the ants you know I'm so glad God made you I can learn from you too right so this this right here shows that when we first come to Christ man this is a beautiful theme right where we're excited, yeah, Jesus, I'm gonna do everything you say, I'm gonna do it like that, I'm gonna follow. And then all of a sudden, as time goes, you begin to see that, oh, wait a minute, Lord, I thought you were, I thought that it was gonna be all peachy and creamy, and, and that everything was gonna be happy, happy, happy. I thought everything was gonna be perfect, 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 and, and that I wouldn't have trouble again. At least that's what we think, right? Everything is going good. God is blessing us. But then the blessings kind of slip under your feet. And you're like, what happened? We start, we start thinking that Jesus doesn't love us no more. But that has nothing to do with Jesus. You know, it's because maybe he's detaching you from something that you're making more important than him. If you ever feel you lost something, you, maybe God is saying, you, you're giving your love more to this. And because I love you too much, I can't let you worship something that is not me. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a ministry. It could be anything. If Jesus is not the center of it, or, and it's, or it's about everything else but Jesus, then maybe you're idolizing something. We make idols out of anything. I kid you not. Even when, when we don't even know it, we make idols of so many things. <clears throat> And, um, you know, believe me, and I got to be honest with you, when I sat down, when Pastor Lewis told me about this message, when I sat down with God to, to look it over, and I was the first one to be convicted. I said, Lord, speak to me first. Teach me first before I can tell anybody something. And I kid you not, I had to repent. When I thought about what he was saying here, I had to think about, am I really giving you everything? Do I really, really, am I really willing to, to uh, the cost? Am I really, really in spite of everything? And you know what? At least in my heart, I know I, I, I will. In my spirit, with all my heart, I serve the Lord. And I do the best I can every day. Do I do perfectly? No. But all day and at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, it's always him first. And it's always him in the middle. It's always him at the end to thank him for everything. So in Luke 958, Jesus told that man that says, oh, I'll follow you anyway. He says, foxes have holes to live in and birds have nests. But the son of man has no place to even lay his head. You know, when we look at this like this and we think about it in everyday life, right? To follow Jesus sometimes when you're all in for him. And he says, come on, let's let's go to the next state. You know. When he had his disciples. They walked around. They probably slept on the road. They slept in caves or mountains. We don't know. We know that he had a lot of people following him. Uh, He had families that he would go to and see, Peter's uh, mother-in-law. And, you know, there was people who loved him and stuff. But Jesus said to himself, I don't have a permanent place to live in. Are you willing to follow me even through the desert? Are you willing to follow me through the hardest places and the hardest times of your life? Are you willing to be hungry? Are you willing to be without a roof over your head, a car? Are you willing to be without finances and still trust me? Or, or do you depend on your safety and your comfort in those things? That's part of the cost that you give up. Is that you understand, like the, like the verse that Anthony put up there, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor God's kids begging for bread. Because he gave them to eat in the, in the desert, didn't he? So Jesus always told us, do you believe that you are worth more than birds and animals? My father takes care of them. Why wouldn't he take care of you? That's the cost. Can you believe and trust like that? So Jesus tells us there about an uncertain future. Right? It's uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen next, right? Verse 59, he says to them, another one said, oh, I'll follow you. He said to another person, come and follow me. Come and follow me. The man agreed. But then he said, but Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. You see that? So here's a call. Here's a call when God sees this potential in you. He knows what you're capable of doing. He knows that you are a person that will go and plant the the seeds of the good news of the kingdom in the hearts of others. And I believe that all everybody here has been called to plant seeds. We're like warehouses of seeds. No matter where we go, we plant the seed of the good news. We let people know, hey, this is what I do. This is my life, the master and his ways as best as I can as a human being, but through the power of the Spirit. So Jesus, in this verse, he's saying, I see potential in you, but if you start with me and you decide to look back, you're not worthy of my kingdom. Once you put your hands on the plow, if you take your, if you're plowing and you look back, what happens to the, to the line? Right? That's what happens to us. <laughs> that happens to us. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, for some reason we start to stagger this way, stagger that way, and we start making some bad choices. You know, and Jesus said, say no, you can't do that. I, I know what you're capable of doing. I know what you're capable of doing. But you can't look back. If you, if you want to look back at your old ways, on how you used to live, while everybody else is doing this, partying and doing all this, and that's what you want, and you still want to have your foot in with me, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. So, Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead, verse 60, go and preach about, oh, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Whether a person is, is physically dead, can't preach to that person. They're not there no more. But to those that are alive, if they don't want to hear it, keep it moving. We're not here. We, we were never told to force people to believe what we believe. We were never forced, uh, told to force our children. We just educate them. We tell them, hey, if this happens, if you do this, this happens. If you do that, hey, this happens. You know? And we know for ourselves, I know, I've had a lot of spanking in this world. Hasn't been nice, but I I brought that upon myself for my bad choice making. So then another one said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But again, but first, first, first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. We always want to stop. We always want to stop the Lord. And, wait, wait, Lord, you know, let me do this first, and then I'll come back and serve you. I'll come back and join that group. I'll come back in, uh, and go encourage and pray for that brother or sister you put in my heart. You know, oh, you know, I'll go another time to the hospital, whatever it might be. First, let me go do this, Lord. Let me do my own thing first. Then I'll come and serve you. The cost is, it's all or nothing. Remember? Verse 62, Jesus said, but Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow again and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Looking back, this reminds us of, remember, remember in the beginning of, in Genesis, Lot's wife, Abraham's nephew, you know, she turned into a pillar of salt, right? The Lord sent the angel to save them. To save Lot and his whole family. But she just needed to like be thinking about, Oh man, I remember the old days. I remember how good it was when we were partying. I remember all that dancing, whatever it was. Right? That was man. You know, and you know, she was thinking about all those things that were going on in Sodom and Gomorrah while Lot and his two daughters were looking straight ahead. They obeyed the angel. You know, God speaks to us all the time too. He warns us we're in in danger, whether it might be an unhealthy relationship or it might be unhealthy people, unhealthy family members that all they want to do, bochinche, gossip, slander. They never have nothing good to say, nothing. And I've always said that when people talk about people, it's because they're afraid to talk about themselves. It's easier to talk about you. But if I got to expose myself and who I really am, that's a scary thing. You might not like me after that. You know, but God changes that. God loves us too much to leave us like that. So when God told Abraham to leave uh, his father and mother, remember, leave the land of Ur, Abraham never went back. He never went back. He went to wherever God told him to do. And that's exactly it. So when we look at this, as you follow Jesus, there will be moments where you will question whether it is worth it to to following Jesus or not. Being a disciple of Jesus means that you plant seeds in the ground. We're going to get into a little bit about that, that you don't dig up during doubt. So you don't come to Christ and know that for sure he has saved you, right? Now you're going through a hard time and you're saying, man, does God really love me? Does he really care? Just because things don't start going our way, Maybe God is allowing you to go through that to make, bring some fruit out of it, some growth. You know, being a disciple is a constantly learning. But you don't just learn and not put it into practice, right? Because what good would it be if I just talk to you, right, and you don't take the word and you say, you know what, what do I got to lose? God said to do so. Let me try it. Right? But no always our way or the highway right and this is what he says things that are so deep during seasons of wealth when everything is good that you survive the seasons also help you in the seasons of drought if you don't doubt God doesn't give us more than we can handle but as but as was already stated he wants all of it your whole life everything your children your relationships, whatever relationships you're planning, make sure you make him first and ask him for permission for anything that you're going to do. If you're going to make a big major investment or whatever, buying a house, whatever it might be, materially, or, or even uh, in relationships or whatever, make sure you talk to God. Make sure you have his permission for everything. Don't go crazy. I'm telling you, if you do it your way, It'll come back and bite you. And so, I hope you guys are beginning to recognize the cost that is required, and that is to dig deep. What is in your heart today? What is in your hearts today that you know is in the way? What is it that consumes your time? What is it that causes you you kind of wake up in the middle of your sleep and you're thinking about it. What is it that, that is more important than the person of Jesus Christ being your focus and why everything else happens? Why everything that you do is because you know that the king, is. you're going to see him one day face to face. And because you know that that's your joy, it's not about me. It's not about me. Uh, people looking at me and thinking that I, 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 I know a lot. It's not about, you know, the best, best leader or the best ministry that's being talked about. It's not about a full house, and yet people don't understand. Is Jesus still the subject? Is Jesus still the center of everything that you're talking about? So point number three, it's not you. It's him. Again, Luke, Luke chapter 14, verse 33, 31 through 33. And here we go. Verse 31 says, 14, 33, I almost read something about the Queen of Sheba. That has nothing to do with this. <laughs> 14, Here he goes explaining another lesson about, about a king that goes to war. Right, so he says, or oh, what king? Now, remember that we what we were referring to is counting the cost, and a little bit more about that is that don't go building something. Don't go building something without or starting something that you're not sure is going to function at the end. Whether, whatever it is that you start. Okay? Don't go starting a, a, a car project and then you realize you're missing the, the transmission. Don't go... Starting a a roof and you forgot the what holds it up? (laughs) You know (laughs) what holds the roof? The rafters. There you go. See? (laughs) Don't go. Don't go trying to plug a light bulb without a socket. (laughs) So you know, make sure. Why? Because if you do something like that, you start something and you don't finish it. People are going to laugh at you. Same thing in your walk with Christ. If you do not grow, you do not grow in your life with Christ, you might discourage a lot of people. You know why? Because they're going to look at your life, and they're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This person was supposedly committed to the Lord, right? His life with the Lord was 12 years, and everybody, you know, seen the change in his life, but all of a sudden he stops. Did you know that you affect also the people that you were talking to? The people you mentor? The people you disciple? Why? Because they start to say and they look and they say, oh, wait a minute. If this person that was serving the Lord for so long can't make it, how am I going to make it? And so you might push people away from even coming to the Lord. And this is, this is why it's so important. You better make sure that your commitment to Jesus Christ is fully there until either we die or until he comes to pick us up on the clouds. It has to be like that, right or die. And we feel, when you feel tempted to look back, you better count what that costs. Because remember, that leads to hell. So, in uh, 31 now, what king or what king would go to war against another king first sitting without first sitting down and talking to his counselors about his 10,000 in defeating 20,000? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Let's, let's look at that. See, our Christian walk is a continuous battle. Every single day, I, I, I'm pretty sure you guys have a battle somewhere. I don't know what it is, but it's your own battle, just like you have your own cross, right? So that's the beauty about having groups is that we can come and we can share that with one another, help each other with our struggles, pray for each other. We can be honest. We don't have to be like, you know, we don't have to be somber. We can be sober, you know. We can come as we are. And be real. Hey, you know, this is who I really am. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. You know, and the beautiful thing about uh, CR is that nobody judges you. Nobody goes, (gasps) no way, not you. They're like, hey, welcome. I know exactly what you're talking about because I am and I've been exactly where you're at today. We are the same. We all struggle with sin. <clears throat> bad choices, bad experiences, but those should never take or get the best of us because we live with hope, and when we gather in these groups, we gather with hope, not for, for somebody to fix you, but just for somebody to, to say, hey, you know what, I can relate to you, and then they share their story with you, and you're like, oh my God, I would have never imagined that. That's exactly the smile. hey, everything's okay. And then inside your rotten bones. I remember Pastor Joshua used to always, I used to be greeting when I first started coming here. He used to come and he used see his face shining with God's love and his eyes, like a light did in him. And he would come by and he'd be like, hey, brother, how are you doing? And he'd look at me. And I'd look at him and I'd be like, oh, I'm fine. Ugh. And the conviction was so strong because at that time, Though I was coming to the house of God, I was in uh, committing sexual sin with the ex-girlfriend I had. But I was saying, oh, I'm fine, and here's this godly man who's full of the spirit of God. And the conviction was like, oh, I'd be like, God, why do you do this to me? And he comes all the time and asks me the same question, and I'm like, oh, you're right, I did it again. So that keeps me repenting, right, until God says, no, you're going to get it right one day. <laughs> and he's was mercy of Merciful enough to allow me to get it right. Being married for real this time, but not with that ex girlfriend. Thank God for that. <laughs> so we have a constant battle. Our flesh is always warring against our spirit. What do I mean by that? Your stinking thinking, your bad choice making, the things that you want to do, what makes you feel good is your flesh. Oh, I got the goosebumps. It's the Holy Spirit. No, it's not. That's your emotion. The spirit is a person. And he lives right inside of us, and he's real. Emotions are good. I like goosebumps, you know. Sometimes they help me sleep better. If it's hot outside, I get goosebumps, it cools me up, you know. But whatever it is, whatever it is, here he's talking about a king who all of a sudden wants to send a delegation. You know what that is? Jesus is talking about compromise. Compromising. Oh well, wait well, wait. I, I plan to do this, but I don't think this is gonna work. I think I, I better come up with something, some way to. And in the Christian walk we do the same thing. Jesus calls us to give everything to him, but we compromise. Oh no, no, no Lord, let me think about it. You know, uh, uh oh man, brother, I I I'll I'll see if I can. Oh sis, maybe later, you know, hey uh, brother man, you know, I'm struggling. I am. Uh, Hey, i got to pay this light bill. Oh, you know what, brother man? I'm going to pray for you. forgot to give you a job to, to, so you can get these finances. Uh, no, brother. They're about to cut my life out tomorrow. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to tell somebody else <laughs> when your pocket is full and falling. We compromise. We push people away because we think our ways are better. Jesus says, oh, my God. To follow me is to depend fully on me and not on yourself, not on your things, not on people. You know, don't put your dependency. Remember, the Bible is very clear when it says, Cursed is the man who puts their dependency or their trust in another man. <gasps> what about marriage? And it's not, don't misunderstand or misinterpret the word of God. When your dependency is on a human being or on things, Jesus has no first place in your life. That's what he's talking about. And when he says, send a delegation, send them, that's a compromise. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way to figure this out, to figure this out without having to really, really, right? So this compromise, God will not allow us to compromise. This is what is happening today in a lot of our churches. There's a lot of compromising. The world is being brought into the church. You know? Oh, you know, uh, if you don't tell me what I want to hear, I want to hear just good things. Tell me that everything's going to be fine. Tell me that I'm never going to have troubles. Tell me that everything is perfect. No, I can't do that to you. If I I was to come up here and tell you, oh, man, it's going to be like you're in heaven already, like you're in a paradise. You're going to get everything you want. You ask for a plane, you're going to get $2 billion and get your plane. No, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. But we don't compromise our salvation and say, Lord, you take too long. Lord, it's not, you're not doing it my way. How many of you have, out, have prayed for God to do something your way? Well, God, if you don't give me this, I'm going to be mad at you. I'm not talking to you. I'm not even going to pray. I'm not reading the Bible today, Lord. You make me mad. I don't get what I want. There that happens. Because it's not, it's not because it's the person's fault, it's because what is he learning? Who's discipling you? Or do you feel yourself the teachers of all teachers? I have to be discipled. I have to learn first. Like David said, Lord, first teach me. Then I can teach others. If you don't teach me, I don't want to teach others. Help me to practice first. Let me make my my mistakes and say, you know what? I can tell these people it's not as easy as it sounds. Right? And that's the beauty of God's love for us. So Jesus says, if you cannot hate your mother and your father and your brothers and your sisters, your children, and even your own life, If you don't count the cost and you start building without me as your foundation and it falls alive and you think you can compromise to do it your own way. Jesus says, if you cannot do any of the things that I'm asking you, verse 33 says, so you cannot be my disciple without giving everything up. That's verse, chapter 14, verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Ask yourself, what is that everything? What is that everything to you personally? What is it that you're holding on to that stops you from the Lord taking over your life? The final example that Jesus gives is a strange story about an army which we just read that is far outnumbered and the obvious answer is that Jesus gives that Jesus gives is that the smaller army surrenders to surrender. In the same way the cost of following Jesus is so high that we can't do it on our own strength. It is not something you can work up to make happen yourself. You can't do that. Oh, I'm going to go save these, I'm going to go save this person. No, you cannot. The last time I knew, your name was Julian, not Jesus, right? (laughs) Right? Oh, well, you know, Jesus, I'm going to, right? Or Jesus or Elena. Well, I have Jesus' name. Yo me llamo Jesus, right? So does that mean? No. (laughs) That doesn't make us the Savior. Jesus saves, right? And it's beautiful because um, it's not something that we can work up. It starts with surrender, full surrender. We might surrender, right? But ask yourself. Like I said, this is something that the Spirit sees in your own heart. Are you fully surrendered? Are you willing that if Jesus says, you know, it's time to go, it's time to go? Or would you say, Lord, first, first, let me, let me, let me, give me, just give me a, a more, one more week so I can talk to my family and prepare them for what's going to happen. No. Or do we say, Lord, I know you're going to take care of them because you wouldn't call me to do something that you're not involved in. So if you're you're taking care of me, it's because you're going to take care of them. He knows our past, our present, and our future. He has the whole world in his hands, doesn't he? Right? So the last thing that I'm going to talk about is salty. Salty. Are you salty? Salty. Are you salty or have you lost your salt, your flavor? Are you still salty? Are you still salty? Are you still salty? Are you salt and light? Or is this just another day, another religious service? Is this just another message that you might just let go in because of what it is? You don't remember it no more? Remember. Remember what Jesus said one day. He says. He was talking about. How our words. Sometimes will be our own judges. We can never say Lord I wasn't told. Why? Because there's not one person in this room. Or even watching. That did not hear this message today. The question is. Salty. Salty. God's intention is that we be the salt of the earth, right? By being what? Fully devoted, fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. And what is salt good for? It's good for flavoring, preserving, sacrificing, destroying, and even fertilizing. Look at the way Jesus puts it. Uh, verse 34. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how can you make it salty again? Right? Then he says, flavorless salt is neither, is neither good for the soil nor for what? The poop hill. Yes, poop, manure. Right? It's not even good to, to kill that. It's thrown away, and anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand what the spirit is saying. So salt is good. So salt is good. So Christ not, not only employs this in the, in the Beatitudes, but look at what he says. So Christ employs the same imagery on at least three different occasions in his ministry. The Beatitudes, right? Which is followed by a summary statement of the basic character of the Christian's life as salt and light, right? Those go together. I can't just tell you the Beatitudes, but I'm telling you he's referring to the way we shine that light. Or how our words are salt. I hope they're salty with God's word and us. Not a, you know, without flavor, without God's words. Your thinking, your ways, your ideas. So right here, you are the salt of the earth, he says. Again, you are indicates that only the genuine, genuinely born-again person is salt and can help meet the needs of the world. Salt adds flavor, acts, acts as a preservative, melts coldness, heals wounds, Right? I have a wound that's healing pretty good. Praise the Lord. And what I'm serious. So what did they 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 operated me? They left me open eleven inches. So it wasn't like they sewed it up. They left it open, and they said, "Well, guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna stuff that with saline water, and gauze, and that's gonna go on for about two weeks, and it's gonna heal from the inside out. You know, shoot." Man, that was almost three weeks, right? lean water, I would fill it up. It looked like a little pool, and then I would have to stuff it up, right? Uh, As a matter of fact, Sister Barb from CR, she's a nurse. She came faithfully for three weeks to help a brother like me heal my wound, you know? And then when when it started to be like something I could do, I was like, thanks, sis. You know, I could take it from here. So then I would do it standing up you know, and stuff, it, but salt is good, saline, so so there's a lot of things, but we are, we are the salt of the earth, and uh, we are a preservative, a preservative to this world, did you guys know that? As salt, you are a preservative to this world, you know why? Because if it wasn't for the few Christians that are here on the earth, what do you think would have happened to the earth already? Think about it, it would have been destroyed. It would have been destroyed. And that's exactly, that's exactly what we are to this broken world. And uh, verse 35, again, he talks about this. We see in this that unless the salt does the job it was intended to do, you, salt, light. Unless you as salt do the job that you were intended to do, called to do, you are of no use to anyone. You're not even useful to God if you stop serving, if you stop doing what He told you to do. One of our jobs is, we, we seen it in the beginning, was that we are called to plant seeds. A lot of people are not going to accept what you're saying, they don't want to hear it. But it doesn't mean that the seed wasn't planted. One plant, another waters but God makes it come to life, right? And so Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, let your light so shine. Let it shine. When was the last time you shined your light? This is what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? Ask yourself that. It takes surrender. It takes... Rededication—it takes commitment. It takes a decision from your heart, not from your mind. Oh, I want everybody to see me that I did it. No. God sees the heart, and He knows the heart that you have for Him. It is trampled. It's no good. If the thought in us, the light in us, remember what Jesus talks about—light and darkness. If your your light is darkness. How deep is that darkness, right? But this is what he says. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill which cannot be hidden. There's no reason for us to be ashamed of our Christianity. Right here, we do not hide or deny our Christianity. We don't. We're not a Christian here in church today and around Christian people. But when, when we're not, when we're with everybody in the world, we're just like them. we smoking, partying. Oh, man, i got to go to church today. Come in here. <laughs> God bless you, brother. Oh, how you doing? I'm fine. Right? No. If we're, if we're going to serve Jesus, we got to be all in. Why? Because you give light. If you are full of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, you are light to this world. The last verse is going to be John, chapter twelve twenty four. This is such a beautiful world. Uh, 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 verse. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I want you to think about this in such a beautiful and spiritual way. If you remain a Christian all by yourself, you don't produce more corns. Right? I'm going to use it in, in a worldly way. Unless you stop being who you are and are fully and truly committed to Jesus Christ, is the only way you will die to yourself. Less of you and more of Christ. The more, as you are a warehouse of seeds, as you plant those seeds, guess what happens? If it dies, it produces many seeds. Get out the way. Let the Lord do what he does. Let him do it in your heart. Let him do it in my heart. And and brothers and sisters, what is going to be your next step? You know, if you guys don't know, there's books that we have here, blue books. But push beyond that first book for other books, for next steps. Join a small group. Join a small group. Um, call somebody this week, you know, see how they're doing. And uh, above all, it's gonna cost you everything. I know sometimes we don't understand what that everything is, but I kid you not, I say it to the Lord, Lord, I, I might not understand what that everything is, but whatever it is, please show me, because I get, I get, I get cocky. Oh, oh yeah, I could do it. Children of Israel did the same thing when they told the Lord, oh, all those commandments, we will do. Guess what? They got big-headed. They got proud. And guess what? They broke them off because they, we will do it. No, no. As children of the Lord, let us depend on the spirit of Christ who lives in us to take every day one step at a time and then to share, share with somebody. Share the good news. Love people. Love people. But don't make anybody more important than the Lord. And at the end of the day, we still wait for the master. But I hope you go home. When you go home, you don't forget this message. I hope it's not like the hundreds of messages that we might have heard. That we remember some and don't remember them no more. They felt good at the moment and we said, yes, yes, yes. But if you're truly, truly, truly serious about your, your, your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, let's all stand up. And if there's anybody here, anybody here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you, for me, it has been the best decision And the best experience I've ever had in my life. Why? Because it's easy? Of course not. Because the road is narrow. And I know that it's not easy to give up what this world offers you to have what you want. It is so beautiful to know that. If it came too easy, hmm, it's a little suspect. But when it's hard to get, it lasts longer. And, you know, and with Jesus Christ... There's a peace that comes with it. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect, but everything is doable. Every problem is solvable. Sometimes they take longer than others, but Jesus, if he's the center, always walks us through it. So if there's anybody here who doesn't know Christ, I invite you. What do you got to lose? We're going to die anyways, someday, somehow. When, we don't know. It could be tomorrow. But at least I want to be ready when, when it's time to go home. Because I know that my life didn't belong to me no more, but I gave it to the one that paid for it. And another thing is that if you felt, those of you that have been here for a while, and if you felt that you have not counted the cost of what it means to follow Christ, I invite you right there where you're at, Invite the Lord invite the Lord to recommit yourself and stop doing things your way. Stop, stop thinking that Christ is a religion. Stop thinking that the church is some type of getaway, some type of let me feel good for today and let me not put these things into practice. But ask the Lord, Lord, if I don't understand what that cost is, please teach me. Teach me and do not let me become overwhelmed to the point where I want to quit. Remember, you can't start. You didn't come this far. You didn't come this far for him to leave you. That was a song that I I heard when I was in prison. (laughs) That was like, I don't know, maybe almost 20 years ago. And it was a song that said, I don't believe you brought me this far just to leave me. Jesus did not bring you this far to let you down. So. All right, so there where you are, you know, take a moment as Jason plays his song and just talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Tell him where to, to help you. And, uh, yeah, let's pray for what's coming next. Join some groups, please. Grow. Decide, be disciples so you can disciple others. Every single person in here is a, is a disciple maker. There's, it doesn't matter. You don't have to know the whole Bible. I don't know the whole Bible. There's books in here that I still haven't read. You know, I'll be here a lifetime until God says it, it, that's it. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you got all the glory. I pray that every heart and every mind here was pointed to you. I pray that there are, there, their eyes of the understanding of their spirit was enlightened today to understand that is all or nothing with you, Jesus Christ. The world will hate us. People will hate us. Family members will turn their backs on us. Friends will turn their backs on us. But you will never turn your back on us. And Lord, because we are in your hands, all we have to do is trust you. Trust your word. How many people, Lord Jesus, have this book at home? How many people have these books just laying around? And they are full of so many promises. You let us know. We don't have it. Ha- we don't need to have it all together. All we need is for you to live in us, and you're the teacher. You're the guide. You're the one who makes us come home. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this word today, and I pray that we would apply it every single day, and that we would somehow, some way, reach out to brothers and sisters this week to join a group, a fellowship, where we can be real and talk about whatever's in our hearts that we need to share. Bring healing, Father, every single day that we come to you and heal our families. Help us to reach the poor. Help us to reach the needy. Help us to reach the sick and suffering in the world. Help us to reach those that don't know you out there, Lord Jesus. We plant the seed. You make it come to life. Maybe not right away. It could take a a couple days, a weeks, months, or years, but they will remember what you said, Lord. Fill our mouths with your love and your words of love so that we can take this message of the kingdom to this broken world father we love you master jesus we love you holy spirit we love you church i love you guys we pray these things in the mighty name of jesus and the church of god says amen amen Amen. praise god